I believe that hurt people hurt people and heal people heal people. Purposeful Living really invites women out of isolation into authentic, safe community of women supporting women. The woman who looks like she has it all together, but behind closed doors, she's hurting, searching, or lonely. Ultimately, I just want to help our women heal because I believe that if our women are healthy, it will impact the next generation and it will make a difference in our country and in our world. That's the voice of Nadine McGowan. On a missions trip to Africa, Nadine came to realize that by pouring into the women of a community, we could truly impact the next generation and shift the whole culture. She founded Purposeful Living Inc. as a nonprofit to invite women to find and live their purpose, and by extension, to have a powerful impact on her entire community and a ripple effect that would extend well beyond. We hope this conversation inspires you to consider the ripple effect that you could start in your own community by helping to serve and uplift others. I'm proud to introduce you all today to Nadine McGowan. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Nadine McGowan. Her time with Cutco dates back to 1998 when she started in the business uh, as a college student. She was a Silver Cup branch manager during her days in college, ultimately advanced to the position of division manager for all of Indiana, uh, held that role for a number of years. She worked in the company for about 14 years, becoming a member of the Hall of Fame. Now, Nadine is the founder of Purposeful Living Inc., which is a nonprofit for women that is designed to help them to find and live their purpose. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, as well as Nadine's time with Cutco and a lot of other good stuff. So Nadine McGowan, thanks very much for making time for the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And when you said 1998, it made me go, wait, am I really that old? So I started when I was 12. (laughs) Back then, they just allowed 12-year-olds to start. It was fine. I try telling people that stuff all the time, Nadine. So yes. they don't buy it though. They don't <laughs> buy it. Yeah. Well, I'd love just to find out what is happening for you right now. I mean, who would yeah. have thought that uh, as we were getting together, that we'd be in the midst of such a crazy year here in 2020. And yeah. I'm just interested in hearing what's happening for you and your family through this pandemic situation that we're having. 
Yes, yes. It has been a crazy year. And I was talking to a couple of friends of mine and I said, if somebody would have told us at the end of 2019 that this is what 2020 was going to look like, I would have said, what eight-year-old made up that crazy story, right? Right. Here we are. Here we are. So it has definitely been different than expected. And there have been definitely some challenges and there have definitely been some joys and some highs. But I think the biggest thing for me and for us is we've really the one day at a time, taking it one day at a time concept has never been more necessary because it's been such an emotional roller coaster. And so I think that's probably been the biggest focus is just like taking it one day at a time. And then if I had to say the second focus is just being extra gentle with myself and other people, Mm -hmm. especially my six-year-old who has not been in school for a long time. (laughs) Right. As I homeschool, like that was a lot more challenging than I really expected it to be as a working mom, you know? Indeed. Indeed. Are you and your husband, Jim, both home working most of the time? Yes. Yes. Through all of this, most of the time we are. Yeah. And I know how that can be with a, a little one that needs attention. And I feel like in a way, I'm lucky that I have two kids because they give each other right. the attention, yes. which is actually really helpful during yes. this time. But you having one, he must be uh, wanting to hang out with you guys during the, during the workday. Yeah, he did. And we had to like work through a bunch of strategies and some failed miserably and some were great. And then I finally came and said, I need childcare. Like I cannot do this anymore. And so, and that was good. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And you're counseling a lot of women, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on today. Is there any specific advice you're giving some of your clients about and uh, people you serve about uh, how to handle this situation? Yeah, I think it's it's very much a lot of the same things. You know, the biggest thing that we have found is there's just been a lot more trauma that has come out. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the trauma that these ladies have encountered is really getting unleashed. And you're seeing that, right, with a lot of the riots. That's just trauma coming out mm-hmm. in unhealthy ways. And so we're just really trying to attune the women and help them work through that trauma and give it a healthy voice versus be stuck in it and have it come out in unhealthy ways. Well, that's great. That's great. I definitely want to dig into that here as we go along today. I feel like it'd be great for people to get to know a little bit about you. And I know you have an extremely interesting personal story dating all the way back to where you're born. And let's hear a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Lebanon in the Middle East, a very small country in the Middle East. And I moved to America when I was 10. So through my childhood, we moved around a lot because if you know much of the history of Lebanon or the background of Lebanon, there was always a war going on, at least from what I remember. And it was a civil war. And so lived in the shelter a lot of my childhood, very unstable times. I remember playing games when I was little of guessing games in the shelter with other kids in the neighborhood of where the next bomb landed. And I remember my little cousin saying, that one landed on top of the refrigerator. And we'd all laugh. And so that was kind of the childhood that I had and then moved to America when I was 10 and was in fifth grade and fifth graders aren't the nicest to a Lebanese girl who doesn't know English. And so that was a new challenge of learning the language of learning the culture. It's a completely different culture. Did you go straight to Indiana when you came? No, actually we lived in Long Island in New York because my uncle lived there. And then we moved to the Detroit area because my grandpa lived there because my dad Mm. had a hard time finding a job. And then I moved to Indiana because of Cutco, because I got promoted right. to EBM for Cutco. Yeah. But originally, I was a Great Lakes girl. That's where I oh. started, Great Lakes. Awesome. I don't know if they still call it Great Lakes. I think they do, right? Yes. 
yeah, Brett is owning that, which I love. Yes. So you were 10 when yes, you came? Sir. Yep. When I was you came to Long Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And then how did you end up finding Cutco? Okay. So I was just starting college. I went to school to be an elementary school teacher. I really wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. I'm so grateful that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful. Um, It's funny because I ended up having to homeschool my kindergarten six-year-old. So it's just funny how that works. But You got a few months of a taste of being a kindergarten teacher. Yes. And I was like, thank you, Cutco, (laughs) that I did not have to do this as my career. And so my first semester in college, I was in one of my classes and on the chalkboard, it said, I don't remember the pay rate. I think it was like 10 something base per appointment. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And I called and went in for an interview and I was, I was all in. I was like, let's sell knives. I loved it. Yeah. And so this was in Detroit. Yeah. Who is your song? Jen, Jen Song? Yeah. Your original manager? Oh, My original wow. manager. Yep. We were the Macomb girls. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. What were some of the early experiences that stand out for you when you were a Cutco rapper in the early days? You know, I have no sales experience, had no sales experience, as most people, and didn't have a lot of family in the area because most of my family was out of the country. Right. Um, and, you know, I went to 15 different schools before I got to high school. So I didn't have a lot of anything. And that's why. Wow. So I had a lot of challenges as, you know, a lot of people would, or excuses, whatever, however you want to call it. But I always, I feel like challenges helped me to figure out how to overcome them. And so I remember making my phone calls and doing the appointments and having my first sale. I sold lots of spatula spreaders and lots of table knives when I first started. I remember hitting my first promotion, how excited I was. (laughs) So it was really good experience. And then I worked as a receptionist. And then I was an assistant and then a branch and then a district and then a DBC, DBM. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the success factors that you feel like helped you do well? Because you were number one as a branch manager. I can remember you were Silver Cup branch. That's a club that you and I are both a part of, a pretty elite club. So Yeah. (laughs) There is something really special about that. That was one of the, the most special experiences being a branch manager. And you were number one your first summer. Yes, sir. as a branch manager, which I don't know how many first year branches have been number one since you, but it could possibly be like one or two at the most that have first year branches that have been number one, like almost always now the number one branch is doing it for the second time. And so you went out right away. The very first time you ran a branch did 400 plus thousand and won the silver cup, right? So what yeah. were some of the success factors that helped you do so well in you know in that experience or in your career? I would say I focused on recruiting. Like that was the priority. I would say that I cared about pouring into the individual rep. You know, like it was about how do I help this rep be successful versus mm-hmm. about my numbers or any what anybody else was doing. I rarely knew what anybody else was doing. I just kind of ran my own race. Mm-hmm. I would say I had really good training. You know, I took management training or the leadership academy or whatever it's called. Like I took that pretty seriously. I did what I needed to do. I attended the meetings. I did the role playing. I, you know, like it wasn't a, yeah, if I show up, I I took it seriously. I took it like a class that I, you know, wanted to do well in and I had fun and I was myself and I followed the program. I mean, it sounds really simple and it's kind of annoying, like follow the program, you know, but that's really. Yeah. Yeah. 
what do you feel like are some of the lessons that stand out from your time with Cutco that, that uh, you feel like have helped you to this day? Man, that is, there's so much there. But if I had to say the big ones that really stand out to me in this moment, I would say time and energy management is a skill that has helped me in every way in, in, with my relationships, as a parent, in work. I mean, and not just time management, but time and energy management, like knowing how to invest my energy into the things that matter. So I would say energy management, I would say in time management, I would say just people skills in general, how to connect with people. I mean, just even like a confident handshake and how long that goes. I would say not being scared of rejection. I think that is probably a huge factor. Mm. Rejection is not a big deal. It's just, it's a numbers game. And I've kind of taken that on with the rest of my life. And I think because of that, I've been able to achieve and experience so much more than I would have if I played scared. Right. You know, the, the comment about not being scared of rejection, that I found that to be a really insightful comment. And it's not, not necessarily one of the common things that people say when you ask about their lessons from Vector but truly is one of the things that we as vector people get to experience is some degree of what you might call failure. You know, whether it's rejection from a customer or whether it's not hitting a goal and feeling that that sense of, of rejection that you can feel when you mm-hmm. don't hit a goal. I think that is a big part of why the vector experience is so valuable is that it prepares people for bigger failures and bigger, bigger obstacles that will come their way later on down the road because you can't live a rejection-free life and have any degree of success or achievement, right? Like you have to be constantly pushing the boundaries, uh, you know, of your current capabilities if you're going to be growing and expanding. And so it's so important to be able to deal with that in the small ways, which are the most of the rejection we experience in Vector are sort of small forms of it. And uh, I think it's so key to be able to get experience dealing with that and understanding that. Yeah. And now rejection isn't like a, oh, I don't want to get rejected. It's kind of like, bring it on. Right. You know, like, I can handle it because it doesn't define me. It's just getting a no out of the way. It's getting me one step closer to my goal. Yeah. I can remember my one of my original managers teaching me in regards to doing phone time. He taught me that the concept of using up your leads, mm. right? He said, a lead that you have in your folder right? Is just, it's just a name and a number on a piece of paper. It's not valuable to you until it's used, right? Yeah. And you want to use that lead, meaning you either get an appointment or you get a no, right? Okay. Now you can scratch that off and you can, you know, go to the next one, right? So you think about the idea of using up your leads, right? How many leads can you use up on a phone session was, you know, what he was trying to get me to think about. And that way, instead of judging my success based on, well, how many appointments did I get tonight? It was all about like, hey, can I use up 20 of my leads tonight? Can I use up 40 of my leads tonight? Right. And just go through and get it done. Knowing that, of course, in that process, I will get appointments. And so, you know, he was teaching me to be process oriented, which I think is a good habit for a lot of people when they're new at something, especially. So that's cool. Any other uh, lessons that you feel stand out or experiences you had that were transformational during your time advancing towards division manager? I mean, working as a team and knowing and learning how to work with others was pretty beneficial. Working towards a goal, goal setting, and actually having a plan and a system in place. And then knowing how to respond when you do hit a goal 
and knowing how to respond when you don't hit a goal. I think both are such important skills. Gosh, there's just so, it's like, you know, when there's so much, it's like, I don't even know where to go because there's just so many different things. Like I would not be who I am today if it was not for my Vector and Cupco experience. It's given me confidence. It's, I mean, I could go all day. Yeah. You mentioned knowing how to respond when you do hit a goal and when you don't hit a goal. Can you unpack that concept a little bit more? Yeah. So when you do hit a goal, knowing how to respond with humility and not in this boastful way, mm-hmm. it's learning how to win and learning how to lose essentially. Right. And then, right. and then when you don't hit a goal, not allowing that to steal from the future, mm. um, it's really looking at it as a learning experience and going, what could I have done different? How can I learn from this? How can I pivot and, and do this differently next time? It was just like taking the lesson from it. Yeah. What you just said was really compelling that not allowing a failure to steal from the future, like that's powerful. And it really comes down to defining the meaning of all the things that happen in our lives, which is a real key core philosophy that I have in life is that, you know, we can really define the meaning for anything that happens to us and, and learning to look at things that happen to us from the lens of what's the lesson, what's the gift, even like this pandemic that we're going through now. It's like, if you look at it from the lens of what are some of the gifts that are coming out of this, it's pretty easy to find a lot of them. And you know, that there's actually, I think that we will look back, we're going to look back on 2020 um, a few months from now, or even a year or two from now and say, that was a really, really terrible year that had a lot of negativity. I think we're going to look back on 2020, 10 years or 15 or 20 years from now, and it, it won't look so bad. And right. we'll realize like, Hey, you know what? That was, there was some challenges that year, but a lot of good things also came out of that, that helped us as individuals or that helped our society or, or whatever it might be. So I think that's a great point about, uh, you know, when you have, failures or times where you don't hit goals, not allowing that to steal from your future. As you said, that was pretty powerful. Yeah. I call it putting on like my good finder glasses and it's kind of like, okay, I just got to put my good finder glasses. I got to look for the good here. What's the good here? What's the good here? And what can I learn from this? Right. Now, when you were a division manager in Indiana with the company, you were sort of a pioneer among women executives in our company. And I'm wondering, you know, what challenges do you feel you experienced as a pioneering, you know, female leader in the company? Honestly, for me, I really didn't have any challenges because I I was a woman. I know some women have experienced that in other jobs. And I know that is a, a common topic amongst women, but I really did not have any challenges. If I were to say if there was any challenges, it'd be that I had to wear really high heels because I was really short. I'm like <laughs> and I'm not really 5'1". I'm like a little bit less than 5'1". But I really didn't experience any challenges because I was a woman. It was a non-issue for me. I never really even thought about it or it never limited me in any way. And I never felt limited because of it. Did you feel Vector created a, a environment where you could be who you were and that it was comfortable for you in that way? Yes, I really do. I felt like Vector encouraged me to be who I was and celebrated who I was. And yeah, I love that experience. Who were some of the key leaders that influenced you during this time? Jeff Bry, Chris Heigl, and Tim McCready, Jen Song. Those were like my immediate leaders and managers. 
And these days, we're always thinking at Vector about how to be more proactive about helping different groups in the company to advance and grow. Is there anything that you feel like the leadership that you were around could have done to be more proactive about helping more women leaders? Or do you feel like uh, the company did as well as they could to help you? I thought they did amazing. I mean, I remember going out to my very first like fancy Vector dinner. And I was so nervous because I'd never really been to a fancy dinner. And I remember Chris Heigl was such a great big brother. And he was like, this is the fork you use. Like this, he was like coaching me on like how to do, like he was sensitive to what I needed and I didn't even communicate it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I felt really well taken care of, well nurtured, well respected across the board. I really did. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. And I, I thank you for, for saying that. And certainly, you know, Chris was a real professional in the company, one of the all-time greats. And, and Jeff Bry is the region manager of Midwest now and is just totally well-known for being somebody that we would, it, that's a great role model that you would want anyone to emulate and just an example of, of all-around class. So it's good to hear that, uh, that you felt that way. Tell us about your path after Cutco and just where it led you to what you're doing today. Yeah, so after Cutco, I really wasn't sure what was next. And so I just kind of paused and I prayed and I waited and then I got pregnant and then I had a little guy and then I was like, I cannot be a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> like seriously, my whole life, I thought I, all I wanted to do was be a stay-at-home mom until I became a stay-at-home mom. And I was like, I can't do this. I have so much respect and admiration for stay-at-home moms because it is the hardest job in the world by far. And so then I was like, okay, I need to do something. And I didn't know what it was. And at that time, I had some past Cutco people reaching out to me and I had gotten certified as a coach when I was a division manager for the simple reason of I wanted to coach my managers better. Right. And so I, it just naturally led to a couple of coaching clients. And so I just kind of started coaching them. And then through that, I realized I really want to coach women. Like I don't even want to coach men. I want to coach women. And so then I started just coaching women and it was all word of mouth. And so I just was coaching mostly women executives. Mm -hmm. And then I went on a mission trip to South Africa and we put on a conference called Women of Worth for the Caregivers of the Orphans. And the concept was if you pour into the women of the community, it's going to impact the whole generation, the whole next generation is going to impact the whole culture. And so we put on this event and right there I knew, and it was kind of slowly happening where I was really drawn to serving women. I knew that I needed to serve women. And I really didn't want to, to be completely honest with you, because it just feels like a lot. <laughs> I always had guys for like staff members because it was just simpler and we just got the job done, you know? But I knew there was no question. Like that was what I was, I felt called and led to do. Like I could, it was undeniable and I could not avoid it. And so I was like, okay, what does this mean? And so I came back and just had a lot of late nights praying and journaling and just thinking. And I just, I didn't want to do it my way. I wanted to, to walk my calling and walk my purpose. And so slowly what I realized was that I wanted to serve women, but I didn't want to charge them. And so I met with a consultant and we kind of talked that out and they said, that's a nonprofit. And I was like, all right, let's do a nonprofit. <laughs> Sounds great. I had no clue what that means at all. And so we launched three and a half years ago. And our goal is to serve 50 women our first year, just to walk alongside, to support, to encourage, to uplift, knowing it would impact others. Right. And we served 307 our first year. Wow. And, and then we served like 
585 year two, and then 810 year three. Um, and we have almost 2000 ladies in our community right now. And it's all been word of mouth advertising. It's been an amazing experience. So it's been fun. Wow. And so your nonprofit is called Purposeful Living Inc. You got it. Right. And tell us more about what it's about and what some of your goals are. Yes. So our mission really is to serve the modern woman. And we define the modern woman as the woman who looks like she has it all together. But behind closed doors, she's hurting, searching, or lonely. Mm-hmm. And our mission really is to help women come out of isolation and help them come into this authentic community. I became really convicted that isolation is the root cause of a lot of our mental health issues, our emotional health issues. I believe it's the root cause to a lot of the addictions going on out there. I just think it's a root cause. And I think that social media is not helping. It's actually hurting because then people are comparing their insides to everybody else's outsides. And so Purposeful Living really invites women out of isolation into authentic, safe community of women supporting women. You know, I could talk all day. So I don't know if that made sense, but that's what we're about. Yeah, that's awesome. I want you to talk more about this because uh, I'm very interested in this. And I think a lot of our listeners will be a lot more interested in this. Uh, Just some of the methods that you're using, some stories you have to share from your experiences. Uh, Tell us more. Yeah. So we have really four core pillars with Purposeful Living. The first one is coaching. So we give them free coaching and we have a coaches team and we do coaches training. So women can come and be coaches. Women can come and be coached. Women can come and do both and it's free. And we just coach women and we coach, you know, all kinds of women. We coach women who just want to work on work-life balance. And we coach women who are suicidal and need some serious support and serious help and all kinds of stuff in between. So coaching is one pillar. The second pillar is our growth group. So we get them into small groups and we cover the same topic. So we have our growth group content and every year is different. So last year was growth. This year is identity. Next year is destiny. And so they come together in groups and they, they grow together and they hold each other accountable and they share authentically and vulnerably in a safe space where they are not judged and they are not given advice even. And so growth groups is number two. Events is number three. We have small events and large events and we do like workshops and then we do large events. Like, you know, we have a breakfast coming up where we'll probably have five, 600 ladies at that. And that's a ton of fun. And then we do a care team. And our care team is just walking alongside women who are walking through a difficult season. So, you know, maybe she just found out she has cancer and we will make care baskets and we'll make meals and maybe we'll watch the kids and maybe whatever she might need. And we have a care team that's in charge of just walking alongside women who just need a little extra support during that season. That's incredible. How widespread is this? Is it mostly centered near you or how far? Yes. So right now we're mostly in the Indianapolis area. However, through COVID, we've really been able to reach because we've been doing a lot of our stuff virtually. We've been able to reach women out of state. And so in 2021, we're looking into starting some different chapters in other areas as well. Because you know, when we first launched, I didn't even know if this was a need. I felt it was a need. I saw that it was a need. I felt called to it, but I didn't know if truly this was a need. And then when women were drawn to us, it was like, okay, <laughs> this is a need. And then when they continued to grow and women were telling more women, it was like, okay, and what we're doing here is working. 
So now let's go ahead and expand. And so we're just kind of trying to clean up our programs, simplify our programs, and we're going to start duplicating into other cities and areas. Oh, that's awesome. And you don't charge them, but I would venture to guess a lot of them become contributors because they're getting such good value that they want to give back, right? That's exactly what has happened. We Most of our funds are raised through our community, but they get to give what they feel good about, what they can comfortably give. Because what I found is even if women have the funds to give, they have a hard time investing in themselves. Like they have a hard time paying for a coach. They'll pay for their son to do whatever sport, right? But they have the hardest time paying for their own stuff. It's right. so just give it to them. And it's like, give whatever you can. And then we do have corporate sponsors as well that help. And these are just organizations who want to support women in the community. And that also helps us funds. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Wow. Really, really cool to hear, Nadine. It's fun. And it's like, it's just a different, it's a feel of like women truly supporting women. Like there's no gossip. There's no credit. It's just the safe space. And it's amazing to see it's easy to do in five or six people, but it's like we've been able to see across the board that that has continued and that's been really nice. So it's been an honor and a blessing to do, honestly. Yeah. With 2,000 women in your community, mostly in the Indianapolis area, you're really impacting that community in a huge, huge way. That's, that's amazing. It really has been an honor. And we have incredible volunteers. Like the things that I share with people in the nonprofit who know nonprofits to hear some of our volunteer numbers, they're just like, whoa, we just have some volunteers who really are very invested in the cause and give so much of their time and energy and gifts because there is no way Nadine can do this on her own. Promise you that. (laughs) But it's been, it's just linking arms with other women. And the concept is, and what I kept seeing when I came back from Africa was hundreds of thousands of women linking arms together and moving forward for the kingdom of God and their unique gifts. It's like walk in your calling sister type of a thing, you know? And that's really what it's been. It's just been this community of women coming together to support each other. So. Yeah. I love what you said about if you pour into women, you impact the whole culture, you know, that you noticed that in Africa, Mm -hmm. right? When you were there with the women of worth project that you were describing before. And I just think about the incredible role that the women in my life have played in impacting me and impacting our society, you know, going back to my mom and, and to my sister and certainly some of the influential women I've had during my adult years. And, and now even to with my own family and seeing the impact that my wife has on our kids and just the effect, the ripple effect that uh, women create is so powerful. So kudos to you for, figuring out that that would be an awesome thing to do and for growing it so well over these four years. What's the vision for the future? I believe we can shift the culture. I really believe we can take, you know, a lot of what we're seeing right now, like I mentioned earlier, is just trauma coming out. And I believe that hurt people hurt people and heal Mm -hmm. people heal people. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, I just want to help our women heal because I believe that if our women are healthy, it will impact the next generation and it will make a difference in our country and in our world. And so we just start in our community and see what happens next. And we just take it one step and one day and one season at a time. Yeah, really neat to hear. Really neat to hear. How can people follow you or get more information about this if they're interested? Yes, they can go on our website, 
purposefulliving.org. That's a really great way to plug in. We have a podcast called Linking Arms. We have a closed Facebook group, uh, Purposeful Living Inc. Ladies. There's a lot of high engagement going on there. But I think first step is just go on the website and they can plug into whatever they need to there. There's some first steps and things like that. And we make it pretty simple on the website so they could just jump on there and go from there. So purposefullivinginc.org is the website. Yep. And uh, the ink is important to us because it is in Christ. Now, uh, we don't push that on anybody. And about, I'm going to say about 40% of our ladies do not believe the same things that I believe. And they still benefit tremendously from our program. So we meet women right where they're at, but it is a faith-based organization. And everything we try to do is biblically grounded, if that makes sense. So Great, great, great. But done in a manner that respects the beliefs and the wishes of every single person in the organization, no matter who they are. And that's, that's admirable. So that's great to see. And then the podcast is called linking arms Mm -hmm. and there's a Facebook group that people could get into Mm -hmm. where they could begin to have some interactions if they wanted and uh, begin to get some support if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Really neat Nadine. And and, uh, just great to hear what you're doing. I, I had heard, you know, over the last couple of years from people like Brett Wiggins and others and a little bit about some of the things that you were hatching and working on. And it's great to hear it uh, coming to fruition so well. And great to hear the description in your own words here today. Really Thank cool. It's yeah. been an honor. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything uh, you'd like to just share with the Vector audience just uh, in, in wrapping up or any other words of advice or principles you want to end with? So, yeah, if I had to give advice to current Cutco reps, managers, assistants, I would just say taking advantage of the opportunity that you have. It's like you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. And just the culture of Vector, the leadership of Vector, the skill set they instill, that doesn't mean it's always easy, but nothing worthwhile ever is. So just to truly take advantage of it and to treat it like the opportunity that it is to maximize it for the opportunity that it is and not coast through it. Cause you know, you can go through your vector experience in so many different ways and still get a lot from it. But I think the way you get the most out of it is just to dive in and give it what you've got and enjoy the process. And the other thing I would say is just be a student. There's just so many people in the organization that are getting the job done in such a great way. And Man, just learning from those people, it's such a gift. It really is. So I would just say like, I would ask myself, like, who can I be learning from? Who's doing what I want to be doing? And Mm -hmm. just reaching out to them and asking, you know, I remember calling people because I wanted to learn how to do PDI and calling managers who did really well with PDI and just having them set the phone down and I would just listen to them. Like, there's just so much knowledge out there. And the cool thing about Vector Cutco is they're always willing to share and help. So. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was some great advice right there. Great insights throughout the uh, conversation today. And uh, really fantastic to hear what you're doing with Purposeful Living Inc. Nadine, uh, congratulations on the success of your nonprofit. And thank you for the great impact you have on women and on everyone, really. And I appreciate your time here on the podcast today. Thank you, Dan. It was an honor to be here. Have a great day. Awesome. Awesome. Nadine McGowan, everyone. Cool conversation right there. Amazing to hear how she was born in Lebanon, went to 15 different schools, she said, before high school, 
And that's not the typical story for a lot of people who we've had on the podcast or for a lot of people who are successful in Vector. That experience, that depth of experience that I think came from that background, I believe is a big key to have Nadine having the empathy to be able to be good in sales, to be able to be good as a leader, and the inspiration to be able to start her nonprofit uh, that she has begun. So awesome to hear about that. That was great. She shared about the idea of not allowing failure to steal from the future. And I thought that was such a valuable insight, right? Learning how to win, learning how to lose. Some of the lessons that she learned during her days with Vector. It's so important to get to develop that muscle of choosing empowering meanings for the things that happen to us, particularly when we might view them as failure or negative in the short term. There usually is some seed of uh, positive benefit that comes out later. Great to hear about Nadine's nonprofit, Purposeful Living Inc. Is the nonprofit, purposefullivinginc.org, is how you can find it. She offers coaching, the growth group, the events, and the care team to women in the Indianapolis area. And there is opportunities for people outside of that area as well to be influenced through the Facebook group and the podcast Linking Arms. And Nadine shared her aspiration of shifting the culture, shifting the culture by influencing one person at a time in a positive way. And that is something that every single person listening to this podcast can think about applying in their own life. You can change lives one person at a time through your influence. Be conscious of the ways that you're impacting other people, sharing positivity and encouragement, uplifting people, inspiring people. These are all things that we can take on to do that can help make the world great around us, adding value to others on a daily basis, looking for ways to give, not to get. These are all things that we can do that can help contribute to our society and help change lives. And just want to challenge every listener to take it upon themselves to do what they can in their own circles, in their own community, to influence people for the good. Thanks for supporting the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.